We begin another week on yet another sour note as Penn State is coming off yet another loss falling to 0-4. Penn State is one of three power conference teams without a win this year outside of the Pac-12. The other two are Kansas and Vanderbilt. Let's get into it in today's episode of Locked On Nittany Lions. You are Locked On Nittany Lions, your daily podcast on the Penn State Nittany Lions. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And hello once again, everybody. Welcome into Locked On Nittany Lions. I am your host, Kevin McGuire. Happy to be with you here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today is Monday, November 16th, 2020, and today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. We have a lot of stuff to get into in today's episode because, as you know, Penn State is coming off yet another loss. They are now 0-4 on the season following their road loss over the weekend against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Nebraska picking up their first win by holding on and holding off Penn State in a 30-23 setback for the Nittany Lions. It is their fourth straight loss to open up the season. And yeah, there were a few more positives out of this loss compared to the previous week against Maryland. We'll get into all that in today's episode. I'm sure you have a lot of reaction to this one as well. But before we do get into today's episode, I want to make sure you guys are reminded that you can follow this podcast in a variety of ways and you can help support us by subscribing, reading, and reviewing on your favorite podcasting app of choice, whether it's Spotify or iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, whatever you're using to listen to this podcast right now, make sure you hit that subscribe button and then leave a reading and review. Let you let us know what you think about today's episode, what you think about the podcast. We genuinely appreciate the feedback, and it does help with our placement on those various podcasting apps as we continue to try and improve this podcast. Hopefully, improve it a little bit faster than Penn State improves their on-field product. But of course, you can also reach out to us on all of our social media platforms by connecting with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch, all using the username Locked On Nittany. I've got all that out of the way. We've got a lot to get into, lots of stuff to react to, and I've got a few things I want to get off my chest once again. Because after another loss, we know that it's going to drag up a lot of talk about the future of James Franklin, and I'm going to tell you once again. You need to chill out with that. Let's get into it. Look, I sat here a week ago and reacting to Penn State's loss to Maryland, I said flat out that was absolutely the worst loss I have seen in the James Franklin era. And I don't think there is any competition for that. And I will say watching this past weekend's game against Nebraska, it looked like we were going to have a strong candidate to give it a run for its money because the first half of the game against the Nebraska Cornhuskers was anything but pretty. For a team that has been down so low as Penn State has this season for a variety of reasons, I fully expected that we were going to get a good, clean effort on the road, away from home, against another program that has been struggling as well. And I got to say, first of all, I will tip my cap to Nebraska. I always will give credit to the victors when it is necessary. And once again, for the fourth straight week, we are congratulating another school for getting their, their win. And in this case, it was Nebraska's first win. And I kind of suspected that this was going to be a tough road trip situation for Penn State. I've talked about it on this podcast. I've talked about it on the Locked on Big Ten podcast numerous times. I didn't like where this game fell on the schedule certainly for Penn State, but also I looked at Nebraska's schedule and I figured this was a good statement game opportunity for Scott Frost and his program because we all know that Nebraska had a really tough start of the season as far as their schedule is concerned. Obviously, they lost one game from their schedule because of the Wisconsin outbreak situation. 
but they had to play Ohio State. They lost. They had to play Northwestern. They lost. By the way, Northwestern looks pretty good. We'll get into that a little bit later as well. And then, of course, uh, if they should have had to play Wisconsin, but they didn't. And then they had to play Penn State. So that was a tough gauntlet for Nebraska to open up the season uh, for a program that a lot of people didn't have a whole lot of expectations for. Myself included. And I, but I still thought that this was a tricky road spot because it was the longest road trip of the season for Penn State. And we figured that you know Penn State, by this point in the season, regardless of what we thought was going to happen and what has happened, it was going to be a difficult spot because going to Lincoln, Nebraska is not exactly the easiest uh, destination to come out of there with a win. Penn State knows that firsthand. Now, obviously not this Penn State team until now. So there is a reason why I look at Penn State losing this game and I don't necessarily get as upset as I think many people are. And again, I'm not happy that Penn State is 0-4. I'm certainly not happy with another loss that we're discussing on this podcast. But I looked at the schedule as it was going into the year. And I figured Penn State was going to lose two, maybe three games. The Ohio State game was one of them. And the road games against Michigan and Nebraska, I thought were going to be pretty tricky. I thought Indiana would be tricky too. But I thought if Penn State was going to lose two games this year, one of them was going to be against Ohio State, and the other one was going to be on the road against Nebraska or Michigan. still think that that's in play. But again, the season has not exactly gone quite according to plan. But I, I looked at this game from the start of the season suggesting that this could be a tough spot for Penn State to get out of there with a win. Not making excuses here. This was a very poorly executed game at the start of the game. And that continues to be one of the biggest problems I have with this Penn State team. I will say, once again, as we have seen a couple of times this season, Penn State does come back in the second half. They do play better in the second half. And they make it competitive. This is a program... Under James Franklin, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, but this is a program that doesn't roll over and just die. Okay, it's oh, they're own four. We get it. They they stink. They are the last team in the Big Ten in search of their first win of the season after Illinois picked up a win against Rutgers, and of course Nebraska picked up their win this past weekend. Everybody in the Big Ten has at least one win, except for Penn State. Now, I still sit here and I say this is probably not going to get a whole lot better. And these next couple of weeks that Penn State has coming up, home game against Iowa and a road game against Michigan, there's a realistic possibility now that Penn State could very well be staring at an 0-6 start to the season. Even when we did our worst-case scenario podcast leading up to the start of the season, I never envisioned that as a realistic possibility. But here we are, right? So what do you do moving forward? That's one of the big questions this week. Now, I still think that James Franklin is going to have a lot of message sending, a lot of reflection, and there's going to be some interesting decisions that have to be made about this team. Sean Clifford was once again abysmal at quarterback. And I'm not trying to pick on a college player because you know that I don't like doing that. But he has made far too many mistakes that have come back to haunt Penn State very harshly in games this season. You saw it a couple times last year, too. Obviously, I thought Sean Clifford had a good year last year, but in the tough key moments, there were some lapses. And again, Sean Clifford's a battler. I, I respect the heck out of him. And he's not going to quit. He's going to keep fighting. And he is trying to make things happen. Sometimes you can try a little bit too hard to make something happen when it's just not there. Okay, so if you follow me on Twitter, at Kevin on CAP, you know I'm, I'm following these games. I'm live tweeting. I'm sharing my reactions. When Sean Clifford has the ball stripped out of him as he's trying to hold off a tackler, and then it's returned by Nebraska for a touchdown, I said right there, he needs a break. Right. Penn State needs a break from Sean Clifford. And obviously, I think James Franklin was in the same kind of mindset because 
shortly after that, next time the Penn State's offense goes out, I think it was when uh, uh, Will Levis took over at quarterbacks. And we'll get into a little bit about the Sean Clifford and Will Levis situation, but I do think that that's going to be one of the big questions, I think, going into this coming week. What's going to happen with the quarterback situation? There's a lot of other issues as well. We'll get into it a little bit more as this podcast goes on because there is a lot to get into. And I understand that watching Penn State football is typically one of their Saturday routines. It's something you look forward to all week because you work hard during the week. You probably have a lot of stuff going on in this pandemic state that we are all living in and adjusting to right now. So by the time Saturday rolls around, all you want to do is kick back, watch your Penn State Nittany Lions on the TV with a nice, cool, refreshing beverage by your side. And honestly, what better beverage for that situation than Coors Light? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill. And that's Coors Light. That's right, Coors Light. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Again, literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. And the best part is you don't even have to leave your house. You don't even have to change your clothes in order to make sure that you are stocked up and ready to go with a fridge full of Coors Light. That's right. All you have to do is load it up on your phone, load it up on your tablet, whatever it is you're using to access the internet. Go to get.coorslight.com and you can get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can flip a coin to decide whether or not you want to blame the offense or the defense for starting games as slowly as Penn State has this season. Because honestly, there's equal blame to go around. Let's focus first on the offense, okay? We all know that the offensive game plan, for whatever reason, just does not materialize until after halftime. So I don't know exactly what the case is. Kirk Sharaka came in to Penn State from a very successful career in his time at Minnesota, and there were some high expectations for what he was going to bring from Minnesota to Penn State. Unfortunately, he couldn't bring Rashad Bateman from Minnesota to Penn State, and that's one of the problems that Penn State has. They don't have the core, or I'm sorry, the wide receivers that Minnesota has. Now, Jahan Dotson is continuing to impress. He's certainly the go-to wide receiver right now. Uh, I still want to see some more out of Pat Fryermuth out of tight end. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Uh, and we are seeing some positive signs from some of these younger wide receivers. I thought actually in the second half of this game against Nebraska, you saw some of those young guys make some catches, go out and get the ball, call for the ball, get into open space, make the catch in a time of need. I thought there were some positive signs there. But the fact is, that came much later in the game. Nebraska was already well ahead. Um, So this is a situation where the offense just cannot get games going. They once again go through a first quarter without scoring a touchdown. The only touchdown Penn State has scored in the first quarter of games this year came on the very first offensive possession of the season against Indiana. And then they kind of went into a little bit of a clamshell for a while before they busted out again in the second half and obviously took the game into overtime or allowed the game to get to overtime. But that's another story. We're not going to go back and revisit that history. But the problem is, while the offense is not scoring points at the start of games, the defense is giving up a whole ton of games. And that kind of goes hand in hand with why Penn State is 0-4. These first halves of games just absolutely are atrocious from Penn State on the offense and on the defense. Here's the stat I threw out there. I know a couple of other people have thrown it out there too, but I, I'm just going to give myself credit because I did the, my own research. <laughs> but Penn State has been outscored in the first half of games this season, 93-26. to 93-26. to 26. They've played four games, guys. They've been outscored by 67 points. Okay, that is a total failure from the offensive side for not putting up the points and the defense for not stopping these points from being scored. 
It is absolutely insane just how many points Penn State has given up to opponents in the first half of games. And really the fact that they can't even score more than, what, seven points in a half. It's really just remarkable just how difficult that is to overcome because obviously you can't. <laughs> it's just almost impossible to come back when you're giving up that kind of a deficit going into halftime. But again, I will say three times this season, the offense does come out much better in the second half and start to put some points on the board. They find the, the momentum. And aside from the Ohio State game, the defense has made their adjustments as well. And I, again, I'll say I know the defense gave up a game-tying touchdown to Indiana in that first game, but you know, the defense was not really the problem in that Indiana game. And you know, obviously, it would have been nice to see some, some stops against Ohio State in the second half, but again, Ohio State's really freaking good, so I don't really know how much more you could really have anticipated, although, again, would have been nice. And then, of course, Maryland, they actually, the defense did do their job against Maryland in the second half, but Maryland was already up. You know, the only touchdown I think the Maryland scored in that second half was uh, a Sean Clifford fumble return for a touchdown. So, I, I, again, I, I know that the defense isn't giving up all the points because, obviously, the offense has given up a couple of those turnovers return for touchdowns this season, including this game against Nebraska. But that's the thing. You can't make those kinds of mistakes when you're on offense because the defense has not been great. You know, I think Brent Pry is coming under a good amount of criticism, and I think it's valid. You know, obviously, Michael Parsons not being there hurts, but there are still some other good, talented players there that should be far better as a unit than what this team has been this season in the four games we have seen. Again, they've had their moments. They've had some bad moments, and that's the problem. The bad moments just compound all the issues because the offense has their own issues as well. And it's not like they play good at the same time often enough to overcome the deficiencies that the other side of the ball is having. Now this game against Nebraska, I, the second half, they certainly did kind of go hand in hand. The defense was making the stops. The offense was driving the ball with Will Levis at quarterback, which let's keep that in mind. Uh, Will Levis came in to replace Sean Clifford well, early in the third quarter, I think it was. And we're going to get carried away with the backup quarterback philosophy right now because everybody loves the backup and it's been a tough year for Sean Clifford. I'm going to be very curious to see what James Franklin does here because we saw Will Levis was moving the football, putting points on the board. And I'm not going to blame Will Levis for not getting off a pass with the game on the line in that fourth and goal situation at the end of the game. Obviously, getting off any pass would have been more ideal than what happens, but I can't blame too much uh, or I can't put too much blame on a backup quarterback when he did so much to help leave the offense too getting into those positions where they were going to be able to potentially tie the game. So again, let's not get too carried away at the quarterback situation just yet. Sean Clifford is talented. The problem is he makes too many mistakes and I think they're correctable. You just got to work with it. I mean, so that's a big challenge I think right now, because we have seen this season has not gone well for anybody in particular. And that is highlighted by the struggles that you're seeing at the quarterback position, which of course is the most important position here because you're asking Sean Clifford to do a lot. You know, a couple of weeks ago, they had him throw like 50-something times. That's not ideal. <clears throat> I still don't think that you want Sean Clifford to be your leading rusher. I think you have some good talent at running backs. And I think that that was one of the big keys. You know, Penn State got some production out of the running game. They saw some of these young guys step up. And I think that there is some signs of encouragement there. Even though the running back depth has been shattered, by the loss of Journey Brown and Noah Kane, I think that there's some promise here moving forward. So I'll be very curious to see how Kirk Sharaka does the uh, offensive game planning 
going into this weekend's game against Iowa. I'm also very excited to bring on or arrange for a crossover episode with our friend Andrew Wade over from Locked On Hawkeyes. We're going to be recording that later today, and I don't know exactly what day we're going to share it with you, but look forward to that because uh, Iowa obviously has looked pretty good. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at that Iowa game coming into Happy Valley. I always thought that Penn State was going to win that game. That's not all the case right now because I'm not seeing anything that says that Penn State should be favored in this game. I'm certainly not seeing any reason why they should win this game. Now, they may very well win this game. This may be the first win of the season for Penn State. But the way that this game or the way that this team starts games is absolutely abysmal. And a team like Iowa is going to take advantage of that. So they need to fix things in a hurry. Because this weekend's game is not going to be easy. This is going to be a lot tougher than Nebraska. And the week after that, they got to go to Michigan. And I know Michigan's struggling, but guess what? Penn State is struggling even more. And they have to go on the road. And we all know the history of Penn State in Ann Arbor is not particularly rosy. So, in in summary, I, I think that this was a bad loss. Yes, there's no question about that. You 0-4, you expect a little bit more fire to start the game. You don't have it. Maybe just Nebraska had more. I don't know what the case may be. But certainly there are some questions that need to be raised at the start of these games because no matter how good you are in practice, it's not translating when you get on the field against a live opponent. You know, Maryland, Ohio State, they all dug you in a big hole. Indiana took control of you in the first half. Nebraska jumped all over you in the first half too. It's good to come back in the second half. But can Penn State just finally start one game well? <laughs> That's all we're asking, right? Well, I don't know how Penn State will start off their week or start their game this upcoming weekend, but I know that I'm going to start my week on a very high note. And that's because I've got a full supply of Built Bars ready to go in my cabinet. I'm going to throw one in there with my lunch every day. I'm going to eat the protein bar that tastes just like a chocolate bar. And it is the perfect supplement for me as I go from working the day shift, coming home and doing some podcasting, doing some writing for some of the assignments I have to get done. It's a long day, especially this time of year. And the best way to make sure that my appetite is not getting in my way is with the Built Bar. Again, they have 12 original flavors. They've got six new flavors that they recently added to the lineup. And they're always throwing in some temporary seasonal promotional flavors as well, too. So you want to make sure you see what exactly they have going on. But take a look at some of the new flavors they have, including cookies and cream. How can you go wrong with that? Carrot cake, apple almond crisp. I'm still a fan of the big peanut butter brownie and the orange flavor that they had previously in their 12 original flavors, which are still obviously available. But if you want to check them all out for yourself, I highly advise you to do so. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. And while supplies last, they'll even throw in a free cooler and take it from me, throw in a Built Bar in the refrigerator overnight, throw it in your lunch in the next morning in that cooler and take it to work with you. You're going to have a nice, cool, refreshing treat in the middle of your day, help you get you through to your next lunch break or maybe your end of your shift. All you got to do, again, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. And while supplies last, they will throw in a free cooler with your purchase. One more time, use the promo code LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. I feel like we have been having this discussion for a number of years now, and certainly it feels as though we're having it much more frequently this season. I'm just going to get this out of the way right now. James Franklin is not going to be fired by Penn State. So let's move on from that concept, and let's look at the situation and the discussion that is being had. Okay, we all know this. Okay, James Franklin, he's a very good coach. I, I feel like I've said this a number of times. He has his flaws. I get it. His assistants have their flaws. I get it. 
But if you think that an own four start is seriously going to turn up the temperature on any hot seat talk for James Franklin, then you're really reaching for something to talk about and you're really reaching for something that just isn't there. Okay, James Franklin is doing a terrific job in so many different areas. Again, I know he's got his flaws and I will criticize him for a number of things. I've criticized him sort of in this podcast alone because this team is not prepared at the start of games. That falls on the head coach. So there is some room to improve for James Franklin and I'm never going to suggest otherwise. I do think though that the criticism he gets goes a little overboard sometimes and I think it's a little irrational to suggest that Penn State, because they're struggling this season, should be moving on from James Franklin. Now, I'm going to just hit the reset button real quick because I have been down this line before where I feel as though there are times when programs and head coaches do need to go their different ways because you go through the routine so many times and you go down the same path, you get the same results time and time again, and it just gets to a point where sometimes a change of scenery will do everybody good. I live here in the Philadelphia area. I follow the Philadelphia Eagles. I've had this discussion, I don't know how many times, when the Eagles had Andy Reid as the head coach. That is the perfect example of a coach and a franchise that were ready to go their different ways. And lo and behold, it benefited them both because while the Eagles did hire Chip Kelly to replace Andy Reid, they did eventually win a Super Bowl with Doug Peterson. Andy Reid, of course, just won a Super Bowl last year with the Kansas City Chiefs. There were some very high times between the Philadelphia Eagles and Andy Reid, uh, and it is the most successful era over a sustained period of time of Eagles history with head coach Andy Reid uh, in the fold. Five NFC Championship game appearances, one Super Bowl trip, obviously ended up with a Super Bowl loss, but that was clearly the best head coaching hire the Philadelphia Eagles have ever made. I don't, I don't say otherwise, but there was a time when it got to a point where it was time to move on, it was time to let Andy Reid go do something else, it was time for the Eagles to do something else. They both did that, it all worked out. Now, it doesn't always work out for everybody. You know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side for a head coach or for a program. There are certainly many more instances where that is not the case, I would guess, than there are when times that it does work out. But we're not at that point with Penn State and James Franklin, not even by a long stretch. So I, I see the conversation all the time about how James Franklin can't get Penn State to that next level. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's impossible that James Franklin can get them to the next level. I'm not saying it's a guarantee that he'll get them to the next level. But the level they're on is pretty darn good if you really think about this. Okay, You got to take everything in mind about where Penn State was as a program before James Franklin was hired, obviously crediting Bill O'Brien to a certain degree, and where they are now. Yeah, I get it. 0-4, this is a weird year for everybody. But I'm not going to use that as an excuse because there are certainly programs out there that are thriving right now. Notre Dame, number two team in the country. Alabama has not lost to Tech. Clemson just lost to Notre Dame, but Clemson's still really darn good. And of course, Ohio State is Ohio State. You know, Indiana is having a really good year too. The Florida Gators with former Penn State wide receiver Justin Shorter, who made a highlight play over the weekend. Just throwing that out there. Uh, Florida's having a really good year. Cincinnati, BYU. I mean, there are programs that are not using this whole pandemic world as an excuse or as a crutch for any struggles. There are programs that are out there that are seizing their opportunities. Penn State is not among them. It doesn't mean that Penn State should be moving on from James Franklin just yet. 
you know, given the sustained success that he has had at Penn State uh, over the last four years, five years, whatever it's been now, uh, one year, one down year should not be the total cause for alarm that a change needs to be made. You should not be throwing smoke up to decide when the next head coaching decision is going to be made or as far as who's going to be running this program. You know, unless James Franklin decides to leave for another opportunity, that's a whole other conversation. But I don't see that as a realistic possibility yet. yet. Here's the thing. I know the the uh, the story about James Franklin as a potential target for the USC Trojans. It's out there. It's been out there for a number of years. It got resurfaced over the weekend by the Associated Press uh, uh, National College Football writer, Ralph Russo, who's a really good guy. I, I like Ralph Russo. I'm not really <laughs> criticizing him. But he did have the article out there that kind of detailed all, all the things that could be in play for James Franklin as the next head coach of USC. USC, by the way, is 2-0. So why the story pops up now is really bizarre to me because USC is probably not going to fire a coach that probably has the best team in the Pac-12 outside of Oregon. And, you know, obviously James Franklin is sitting here at 0-4. So it's, it's a weird story to bring up right now. But I get it because I've said all along, James Franklin would kill it at USC. I'm not going to be shy about saying that. Uh, I think he's done a terrific job at Penn State. I think he would do a terrific job at USC. And maybe he would have more success at USC as far as national prominence is concerned. But correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Penn State go into the season as a pre-consensus pick to be a college football playoff contender? You know, look at all those preseason polls. They were at number five, number six, number seven. That puts them in the playoff radar, and USC wasn't anywhere close to that. So what exactly is bad about this situation? Okay, Michael Parsons opted out. Okay, big deal. That's going to happen in this kind of weird year. Uh, Obviously, you get hit hard with that uh, running back situation. That's not really the coach's fault, right? So where exactly are you blaming James Franklin to the extent where he needs to be fired? Penn State needs needs to move on. And I know I've had this discussion as well with people when they talk about Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. You know, a lot of people say, well, you can't fire Jim Harbaugh because who are you going to get that's better? Well, that's the thing. I'm kind of caught in the middle here because I always say you don't necessarily have to guarantee that the next person is going to be better. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. Sometimes you just need to change your scenery. Sometimes you need to change things up. If you feel like you have plateaued and you feel like you are underachieving, then making a change to try and go above that plateau should not be something you're scared of doing because you may fall under that plateau, but you may go higher. You just don't know. And there are always going to be good coaching candidates for schools like USC, Michigan, and yes, even Penn State. So a coaching vacancy at any of these kinds of schools should not be something that you're too nervous about entering, you know, for whatever situation. Now, I'm always of the mindset that coaches like Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin talk about them being fired is kind of ridiculous. I mean, the buyout alone is going to be one issue. Uh, Schools like these uh, programs like Michigan and Penn State, they can afford it, but that's going to be a pretty good intimidator. And then you have to keep in mind, you know, the, the results on the field are one thing. But the results everywhere else really do carry some weight at some programs, especially at a school like Michigan. You look at the state of the Michigan football program, there are a lot of positive things going on there outside of what has happened on the field. And I get that on the field production is pretty important, but you you talk about the situation that Jim Harbaugh is in, you never really hear any rumblings 
from the people at Michigan that really make these decisions, that have the influence over the decision-making as far as who runs their football program. You hear from the fans that are frustrated that Michigan can't beat Ohio State. It's the same situation with Penn State. You never hear anybody complain about James Franklin from, you, know, you never hear people that have that influence really complaining about what James Franklin's doing, right? Even though it's a tough year, you don't hear those rumblings, or at least I'm not seeing those rumblings. You always hear from the fans who are disgruntled that Penn State is 0-4, the only team in the Big Ten without a win, getting mopped on the floor in the first half of games. I get it. It's all bad. But to go to the length to suggest that it's time for Penn State to move on from James Franklin, let's just not go down that path right now. There are way too many positives about the James Franklin era right now that you should not be glossing over. So that's all I'm going to say. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening in and subscribing, rating, and reviewing on all of your favorite podcasting apps. We have a lot of stuff to get into as the week unfolds. We will be talking to Andrew Wade from Locked on Hawkeyes for our crossover episode this week. I'll let you know exactly when that's going to be posted. It might be tomorrow, but it might be Wednesday or it might be Thursday. (laughs) We'll have to figure that one out. We'll play it by ear, but that's going to be a lot of fun as we look forward to this week's game between Penn State and Iowa. I do have a couple more thoughts on everything else that happened around the Big Ten. There was some national storylines as well. We'll take a look at in tomorrow's episode. But make sure you are subscribed so you never miss a single episode. And also reach out to us on our social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch, all using the username LockedOnNittany. One last time, I'm Kevin McGuire. You can give me a follow on Twitter at KevinOnCFB. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash KevinMcGuire. And until next time, everybody, have a great day. Go 1-0 today. Get your first half of the day started as well as you're going to end it. And we will talk to you all again tomorrow.